About 18 years ago, Joy and I were in City Church, Newcastle, and we'd felt God call us to move. We'd felt him call us to go. There's a whole bunch of people at that time were feeling a prophetic call from God as part of the movement that we were in, New Frontiers, to go. And we knew that God was calling us to go, but we didn't know where. There's a few people in our church who had felt called already to go to Edinburgh to plant a church. And they were led by Joy's mum and dad, Matthew and Anne. Some other friends of ours were going along with them, Daniel and Sarah. And we, we just discounted ourselves from, from being part of this because we felt that this was their calling and their journey and that we needed to find something for ourselves. It was only when we went out for a picnic with Daniel and Sarah one day and I'm sitting there on the rug and Daniel eyeballs me and says, have you considered Scotland? Well, I hadn't honestly considered Scotland. Well, he started telling me all the amazing things about Scotland, how beautiful it is, how majestic it is, the, the landscapes, the people, the uh, amazing arts here, and also the history of revivals and really cool stuff that God's done here. So as he's speaking, I'm feeling stirred about it. I'm feeling faith rise in me, but I'm thinking, nah, this, this can't be right. Well, on the way home, we get in the car, and I'm praying about it, feeling that I feel something about this God. Is this you? I felt God whisper to me, almost like it was into my mind, into my imagination. Carry on reading where you were reading this morning in the Bible, and I'll give you the word north to prove to you that I want you to go north. Well, I turned to Joy and I said, this is what I feel God's saying to me. This could be me. It could be God. It could be the picnic talking. I don't know what it is, but it's going to be really easy to test this one. So as soon as I got home, opened my Bible, looked at the very ne next passage. It was in Deuteronomy and it says, therefore, I'm sending you north of the border. Wow, my, my jaw hit the floor. I couldn't believe that this was God speaking directly into our situation, giving us clear direction for where we're to go. Very, very exciting. And that was the beginning of our journey to move to Scotland and we ended up moving to Glasgow to help plant a church here and don't you wish that all decisions that you made in your life were like that where God could speak into them he could give you clear direction well most of the decisions that I've made haven't been like that and just a few months before another decision that I made uh, buying a car which is another one of life's big decisions isn't it um, I was in a garage looking at cars and Joy was over at a friend's house and I was looking at this car as a Peugeot 306. I'd always wanted a Peugeot 306. My friend had one growing up. I thought this is a cool car. It was back then, honestly. And this salesman comes over and he gives me the hard sell. He could see that I was easily manipulated. And this car just became the thing that I needed to have. Well, over the next hour, this guy wore me down to the point where I phoned Joy up. And I said, I'm in the showroom and I need to get this car and it could get sold. Well, Joy being a lot wiser than I am was, listen, you need to just take a minute. You need to step back from this. And we need to think about it. Well, I was not having any of that. No, 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 no. We, this is the car for us. This is what I see myself in. It's going to be great for the family. It's actually a good price and he's get, got us a really good deal. So um, I, I ignored Joy's advice. I rushed into this decision. I got the car and um, I got totally done over with the deal. It was terrible. 
we ended up with this financial deal that, that stayed with us for years that I didn't think I'd got. I don't make good decisions, especially on the spot. I don't even make good decisions when I spend hours looking through Google searches and looking at all the statistics and going on which and looking at the best product or going on Rightmove to look at the best house to see which is closest to the school and which is best closest to the, to the airport or to the train station and do we need to be close to amenities? Do we need to be close to a park? All those things are just overwhelming. We have so much information available to us in our culture now, in this generation. It's so difficult to make decisions. We just go straight to all the information and try and, try and accumulate it and we try and process it all and then make a decision. Well, how does Jesus make decisions? Well, we've got a passage here that we're going to look at, and it's probably one of the biggest decisions ever made in history. And Jesus shows us the best way to make decisions. So let's go into it now. Luke 6, verses 12 to 16, says this. In these days, he went out to the mountain to pray. And all night, he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve whom he named apostles, Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James and John, and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who is called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Wow, what's going on here? I mean, Jesus didn't have a crowd survey to figure out the most popular choice for a disciple. He didn't even interview the candidates or he didn't do an eeny, meeny, miny, mo to choose who's going to be the best apostle. He went up on the mountainside to pray all night and then he came down and then he chose them. What's going on here? Is this like an apostle list that God the Father gave Jesus up the mountain? Is it a bit like the Ten Commandments? Maybe where Jesus went up the mountain and God etched on a scroll, the names of the disciples that he wanted to become apostles? No, I don't think so. It's the place we make decisions from that counts. It's the place of relationship with God. Elsewhere in the Bible, it talks about how Jesus deals with all kinds of pressure, especially decision-making. And it says this of him in Luke 5, 16. He says, he often withdrew to a lonely place. And that word lonely can be translated several different ways. It could be deserted or desert place, a solitary place, a quiet place, or the wilderness. Basically, Jesus got away, got away from it all, got away from people, got away from the hustle and the bustle of life. And he found himself somewhere quiet to pray. Well, how does that help? How does just getting away help make decisions? Well, in John Mark Homer's book, this rather good book here, it's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And he explains the attention epidemic we're in and how we need to build patterns of rest into our lives. Jesus knew all about this. He knew even in his day when he didn't have smartphones and the internet and, and people everywhere just, just able to contact you, that he needed to get away. He needed to centre himself. 
he needed to find a place of solitude. You see, we're, we're always connected. We're always reachable. We've got notification overload. If you think about YouTube and Netflix binging, we've got Facebook with Facebook notifications and Messenger and groups that we're part of. We've got Instagram, Twitter, even email. Some people have still got that. I've got email still. WhatsApp, TikTok. I don't use TikTok, but I know there's people out there that do. Don't even deny it. We have all sorts of things on social media that are just there to pull our attention. In fact, these media giants are fighting for our attention. That's the currency that they operate in. That we are the product. They are wanting our attention all the time. They're selling it through ad advertisements. Companies pay for our attention through these social media platforms. So every time you're clicking on something, somebody wants to know about that. Somebody's recording that. Somebody's figuring out what kind of products you like and where you want to go next, what your buying habits are. This is actually quite scary, isn't it? But this is part of our life now. We're just being bombarded with all of these distractions, all these things that are coming in to tell us there's a new Netflix series that you might want to watch, or there's this product that's just come out that you can get from Amazon Prime to deliver to your door tomorrow. All these things overwhelm us to the point where we don't have time to think. We're just running from distraction to distraction. I don't know about you, but I can really relate to that. In his book, he says this, the noise of the modern world makes us deaf to the voice of God, drowning out the one input we most need. I mean, how do we have any kind of spiritual life at all if we can't pay attention longer than a goldfish? How do you pray, read the scriptures, sit under a teaching at church, or rest well on the Sabbath, when every chance you get, you reach for the dopamine dispenser that is your phone? That's John Mark Comer in the ruthless elimination of hurry. We've forgotten how it feels to even be bored in this day and age. We don't even remember until very recently what it's like to queue. Shops have been very efficient and we can pretty much buy anything online and get it delivered. And only recently with lockdown, we've been reintroduced to the whole idea of really slow queuing again. It's amazing. I wonder how long you can go in a queue without getting your phone out and having to entertain yourself. See, the one thing lockdown's helping us with is slowing our pace down. I don't know about you, but even though I've been busy and I've been working remotely, I've found that it's given me more space to think. It's given me less things to occupy my mind with, that, oh, I've got to go and do that. I've got to go to this meeting over here and I've got to drop these kids off over here and pick them up from this club. Suddenly, all these things are closed down and I've got time to think about what I'm doing, time to think about what I'm investing my time in. We need rest, quiet and solitude. We need to allow the dim of the world to fade and allow our ears to adjust to the still small voice. That's what Jesus was doing on the mountain. He wasn't getting the information. He was spending time with his father. He was giving space 
to allow the din of the world to just go down, the volume to reduce, for the distractions to go away, and for him to be able to just spend time in the presence of his father to get his perspective right. In Isaiah 40, verses 30 to 31, he says, Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This is so important for us to remember. That... We are meant to wait on God. We're not meant to be rushing around. We're not meant to be getting the next decision made as quick as we can. There's a process involved and that process is a relational one. We're meant to be up on the mountain. We're meant to be at one with the Father. We're meant to be hearing his voice. It's the experiential process, this. Wait on the Lord and he will renew your strength. This isn't just information. This isn't just finding the right path. This is God actually filling us. God has promised us the Holy Spirit. And Jesus, when he left, he promised us the Holy Spirit. He said that we will receive the Holy Spirit when he ascends. And that Spirit is going to be a comforter, it's going to be a helper, and it's going to empower us to do the work of God. In fact, that word power, empower, is the Greek word dunamis, which, me, which is where we get our word dynamite from. This is the power that, will, that exploded the early church onto the stage of the world and changed the whole face of the world. Before the Holy Spirit came, the disciples were quivering wrecks in a room praying. But when the Holy Spirit came on them, they were then empowered, they had boldness. They had courage and they had the words to say to go out and do the works of God. The mountain is the place where we get filled. God seems to like mountains. I like mountains. I've got a thing for getting on my mountain bike and going up the nearest one that we, mountain that we've got close to us in Clyde Muir Shield Park. And it's a bit of a trek up there and you get to the top and it's exhilarating. You can rush around down all these slopes. There's nice mountain bike treks up there. But one of the things I love to do is I love to just go along this mine track that's miles long. And at the end of the mine track, there's this, just this hill. And I can sit on the hill and it's totally silent. And there's nobody for miles. And all I can see is hills and nature. What's so good about the mountains then? Well. I think mainly it's inspiring. You're being somewhere that God has made. Instead of being around, surrounded by concrete jungle and things that we, we have made and we have designed, you're in, you're in a place that God has made. You're seeing nature. You're hearing the sounds of nature around you. It's very different than even just being in a quiet room. I think there's other things about a mountain that are important. Once the intentionality that is required to get there, you don't find yourself on a mountain. Jesus didn't just find himself on that mountain, he had to climb the mountain. You have to plan to go up a mountain. There's no accidental climbing a mountain. 
It takes effort. Usually you have to plan what you're going to wear so that you've got, you've got a backup if there's bad weather or if the weather gets too hot. You, if you're going to have to stay overnight, there's some, you need something to sleep in. You need to think about the route that you're taking. It's pretty dangerous work. It's not easy to climb a mountain. It's not something that you just undertake at a whim. So there's an intentionality about going and for Jesus to go and spend time with the Father. He's saying, I'm thinking about this. I'm going to take the time and the effort to get to a place where I can meet with you. Mountains are majestic. There's something about mountains that reflect the meeting of heaven and earth. They're like the place where heaven and earth meets and you feel closer to God somehow. You see the things around you with a perspective that you didn't have when you're down on the, on the ground level. Just this week, I, um, I opened the, uh, the post and in the post there was a, uh, a package and inside the package was a pair of glasses. And these are not a pair of glasses that I had ordered. They're a pair of glasses that Joy had ordered for me. Joy saw that I was struggling to read uh, things that were close to me. I'd not even really noticed it myself, but she'd noticed that I was struggling to see things that were close to me and thought, he's getting a bit old. He probably needs some reading glasses. So being the loving wife she is, she ordered these glasses for me just to try out. And so now when I put them on, I can actually see things closer to my face like a book with clarity. I didn't realise that I wasn't seeing things in focus before because I was just used to it. But now I see things in focus, it gives me a new clarity and perspective. Going up the mountains like that, you might think that you see things clearly and that you have perspective, but when you get up the mountain, suddenly the, the world dies down and you see things in the perspective. Things are tiny. Things, problems that seem large when you're amongst them are now tiny, they're in the distance. It's a really healthy place to be. It seems that mountains are God's favourite place to have a private meeting and where altars are made. If we just look through the, the Bible, there are lots and lots of references to mountains. Noah's ark rested on a mountain. Noah came out, he built an altar. God gave him a promise. Abraham and Isaac. Abraham was told to go and sacrifice Isaac on a mountain. It was actually Mount Moriah. He was to build an altar there and sacrifice Isaac, but God stopped him via an angel, thankfully, and he didn't sacrifice his son, and instead God provided a ram that was caught in the, in the thicket nearby. That same mountain, Mount Moriah, is where Jerusalem was built. And that's why the Jews um, worship and they place um, sacrifices on that mountain, because that is the place where God had promised to, to Abraham that he would provide a lamb. Amazing that Jesus was crucified in that same city, in that same place. Moses, he went up lots of times up the mountain, up Mount Sinai. God, God told, God met with him on the mountain initially and gave him his, gave him his command to go and, and uh, release the, the, the Hebrews from, from the, the Egyptian rule. And he was instructed when, he, when, he, uh, when Ferd let the people go that he was to bring 
them back to worship on this mountain. And that's what he did. He brought them back to the mountain and they worshipped around that mountain. Now, the Hebrews were scared to go on the mountain. Moses went up the mountain many times and we know that he got the Ten Commandments up the mountain. He met with God. His face was shining brightly when he came down from the mountain. It was amazing. He also erected altars on the mountain and sacrificed to God. Elijah, Elijah went up a mountain, called down fire from heaven. He also went up a mountain and met with God when he was running away from God. Let me just read the passage from 1 Kings 19 verses 11 to 13 says this. And God said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord and behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore the mountain and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? At this point, God recommissions Elijah, gives, gives him his calling again. He says, why are you hiding? Go back and, and do what I was calling you to do. The mountain was the place where God encountered Elijah, where he encountered Moses, where he encountered Abraham, where he encountered Jesus. And Jesus met God up a mountain more than once. We can remember the story of the transfiguration where Jesus went up with Peter, James and John, and they were there and they saw his appearance transfigured. It was changed. It was like someone had lifted the lid and shown who, that Jesus was really God. Suddenly he was shining and full of glory and they were terrified. And alongside him appeared Elijah and Moses. It kind of makes you wonder if They've just been hanging around on mountains ever since the Old Testament and hanging around waiting for Jesus to come and be transfigured. Seems odd that they're, they're there on a mountain again. This is the place of meeting. This is the place where God comes. Our times with God should be ascending the mountain. We should be taking time to ascend the mountain. We should be intentional. We should be turning off the phone we should be turning off the computer and going out and leaving the phone at home and being distraction free so that we can encounter the living God. Whether you go up a mountain or go in a field or just find somewhere really quiet to be, we need that. We need that place of intimacy with God. So what, what's all the, the talk about altars? What's the obsession with altars on mountains? Well, I think this is the point that God wants us to put in our hearts this morning, is that you can't just expect to meet with God without first laying down your life. You see, Jesus calls us to follow him. And in following him, we are, we are expected to lay our lives down. We are expected to turn away from our sin, turn away from our rebellion and embrace him. That involves 
laying our lives down. That's me not counting myself as important anymore. That's me saying my ambitions aren't the most important thing. That my comfort isn't the most important thing. That my time isn't the most important thing. That it's God, that it's God's calling on me is, is to abandon everything that I value dear to me in order to embrace him. The word says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. See, the decisions aren't that important. The big decisions, the small decisions, actually the kingdom of God is what's important. And God wants us to foster a relationship with him. He wants us to spend time and invest it and be filled with him and be empowered with him. Not just to make good decisions, but that we could reflect the kind of person that he is in the decisions that we make. That being on the mountain is part of transforming us to become more like him. That we're filled with him, that we're empowered by him. You don't have to go up an actual mountain, but I think it helps. I think it helps to find somewhere that you have to be intentional and that there's a sacrifice. You're saying, I'm laying down my time here. I'm giving of my energy. I'm giving of the distractions. I'm laying them on the altar. And I'm going to meet you, God. I'm going to meet you here. None of what I bring is important. None of what I value is important. But I'm coming here to meet with you. Well, Jesus came back down to earth. He never stayed on the mountain. This is important. We don't live on mountains. We're not called to be monks who set up a monastery in the mountain and stay there forever. God wants us to be actively making these decisions and changing the world around us, like Jesus was doing appointing his 12 apostles and, and having them turn the world upside down. We're meant to be bringing heaven to earth. We need our mountain experience to be filled with the presence of God, to hear the voice of God, to hear his affirmation of us, to get perspective, to see our lives through an eternal perspective that isn't clouded by all of the noise that we, we have thrown at us every day. We get filled with heaven and then we take heaven to the earth. Lord, let your kingdom come and let your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. That is the call of going up the mountain. We go to be filled. We go to be changed. We go to become like him. And then we come down from the mountain and we implement that. If we want to live a life centred around God's kingdom, not driven by our desires, the world or distractions, we need to anchor ourselves in relationship with God. We need these times of silence and solitude. We need the rhythm and the practice of these things in our lives, where we just go away and we pray and we, get, we just hear the voice of God. To hear God's voice about anything, we just have to be willing to make the sacrifice of our distractions for long enough 
to hear that still small voice of our Father. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we have such an amazing example in Jesus of what it is to be dependent on you, of what it is to seek your face, of what it is to receive power from you and to be, to be filled with your spirit so that we can have the power to make good decisions. Lord, I pray that like Jesus, we will ascend that mountain. We will lay down ourselves. We will die to ourselves. We will take up our cross and we will embrace you and your presence. Lord, change us from the inside and help us to be those who make an impact on the world around us. In the name of Jesus.